Section 31 of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould. Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Section 31. Adventures of Philip Ashton, who, after escaping from pirates, lived sixteen months in solitude on a desolate island. Part One, On Friday, the 15th of June, 1722, after being out some time in a schooner with four men and a boy off Cape Sable, I stood in for Port Rossaway, designing to lie there all Sunday. Having arrived about four in the afternoon, we saw, among other vessels which had reached the port before us, a brigantine supposed to be inward-bound from the West Indies. After remaining three or four hours at anchor, a boat from the brigantine came alongside with four hands, who leapt on deck, and suddenly drawing out pistols and brandishing cutlasses, demanded the surrender both of ourselves and our vessel. All remonstrance was vain, nor indeed had we known who they were before boarding us could we have made any effectual resistance, being only five men and a boy, and were thus under the necessity of submitting at discretion. We were not single in misfortune, as thirteen or fourteen fishing vessels were in like manner surprised the same evening. When carried on board the brigantine, I found myself in the hands of Ned Lowe, an infamous pirate, whose vessel had two great guns, four swivels, and about forty-two men. I was strongly urged to sign the articles of agreement among the pirates and to join their number, which I steadily refused and suffered much bad usage in consequence. At length being conducted, along with five of the prisoners, to the quarter-deck, Lowe came up to us with pistols in his hand, and loudly demanded, Are any of you married men? This unexpected question, added to the sight of the pistols, struck us all speechless. We were alarmed lest there was some secret meaning in his words, and that he would proceed to extremities, therefore none could reply. In a violent passion he cocked a pistol, and clapping it to my head cried out, You dog, why don't you answer? swearing vehemently at the same time that he would shoot me through the head. I was sufficiently terrified by his threats and fierceness, but rather than lose my life in so trifling a matter I ventured to pronounce, as loud as I durst speak, that I was not married. Hereupon he seemed to be somewhat pacified and turned away. It appeared that Lowe was resolved to take no married men whatever, which often seemed surprising to me until I had been a considerable time with him. But his own wife had died lately before he became a pirate, and he had a young child at Boston for whom he entertained such tenderness, on every lucid interval from drinking and reveling, that on mentioning it I have seen him sit down and weep plentifully. Thus I concluded that his reason for taking only single men was probably that they might have no ties such as wives and children to divert them from his service, and render them desirous of returning home. The pirates, finding force of no avail in compelling us to join them, began to use persuasion instead of it. They tried to flatter me into compliance by setting before me the share I should have in their spoils, and the riches which I should become master of, and all the time eagerly importuned me to drink along with them. But I still continued to resist their proposals, whereupon lo, with equal fury as before, threatened to shoot me through the head and though I earnestly entreated my release, 
he and his people wrote my name and that of my companions in their books on the nineteenth of june the pirates changed the privateer as they called their vessel and went into a new schooner belonging to marblehead which they had captured they then put all the prisoners whom they designed sending home on board of the brigantine and sent her to boston which induced me to make another unsuccessful attempt for liberty but though i fell on my knees to low he refused to let me go thus i saw the brigantine depart with the whole captives excepting myself and seven more very short time before she departed i had nearly effected my escape for a dog belonging to low being accidentally left on shore he ordered some hands into a boat to bring it off thereupon two young men captives both belonging to marblehead readily leapt into the boat and i considering that if i could once get on shore means might be found of effecting my escape endeavoured to go along with them but the quartermaster called russell catching hold of my shoulder drew me back as the young men did not return he thought i was privy to their plot and with the most outrageous oaths snapped his pistol on my denying all knowledge of it the pistol missing fire however only served to enrage him the more he snapped it three times again and as often it missed fire on which he held it overboard and then it went off russell on this drew his cutlass and was about to attack me in the utmost fury when i leapt down into the hold and saved myself off st michael's the pirates took a large portuguese pink laden with wheat coming out of the road and being a good sailor and carrying fourteen guns transferred their company into her it afterwards became necessary to careen her whence they made three islands called triangles lying about forty degrees to the eastward of surinam in heaving down the pink low had ordered so many men to the shrouds and yards that the ports by her heeling got under water and the sea rushing in she overset he and the doctor were then in the cabin and as soon as he observed the water rushing in he leaped out of the stern port while the doctor attempted to follow him but the violence of the sea repulsed the latter and he was forced back into the cabin low however contrived to thrust his arm into the port and dragging him out saved his life meanwhile the vessel completely overset her keel turned out of the water but as the hull lifted she sunk in the depth of about six fathoms the yard-arm striking the ground forced the mast somewhat above the water as the ship overset the people got from the shrouds and yards upon the hull and as the hull went down they again resorted to the rigging rising a little out of the sea being an indifferent swimmer i was reduced to great extremity for along with other light lads i had been sent up to the main top gallant yard and the people of a boat who were now occupied in preserving the men refusing to take me in i was compelled to attempt reaching the boy this i luckily accomplished and as it was large secured myself there until the boat approached i once more requested the people to take me in but they still refused as the boat was full i was uncertain whether they designed leaving me to perish in this situation however the boat being deeply laden made way very slowly and one of my comrades captured at the same time with myself calling to me to forsake the boy and swim towards her i assented and reaching the boat he drew me on board two men john bell and zana gordon were lost in the pink 
Though the schooner in company was very near at hand, her people were employed mending their sails under an awning, and knew nothing of the accident until the boat full of men got alongside. The pirates having thus lost their principal vessel, and the greatest part of their provisions and water were reduced to great extremities for want of the latter. They were unable to get a supply at the triangles, nor on account of calms and currents could they make the island of Tobago. Thus they were forced to stand for Grenada, which they reached after being on short allowance for sixteen days together. Grenada was a French settlement, and Lowe, on arriving, after having sent all his men except a sufficient number to maneuver the vessel below, said he was from Barbados, that he had lost the water on board, and he was obliged to put in here for a supply. The people entertained no suspicion of his being a pirate, but afterwards, supposing him a smuggler, thought it a good opportunity to make a prize of his vessel. Next day, therefore, they equipped a large sloop of seventy tons and four guns, with about thirty hands, as sufficient for the capture, and came alongside while Lowe was quite unsuspicious of their design. But this being evidently betrayed by their number and actions, he quickly called ninety men on deck, and having eight guns mounted, the French sloop became an easy prey. Provided with these two vessels, the pirates cruised about in the West Indies, taking seven or eight prizes, and at length arrived at the island of Santa Cruz, where they captured two more. While lying there, Lowe thought he stood in need of a medicine chest, and in order to procure one, sent four Frenchmen in a vessel he had taken, to St. Thomas's, about twelve leagues distant, with money to purchase it, promising them liberty and the return of all their vessels for the service. But he declared at the same time, if it proved otherwise, he would kill the rest of the men and burn the vessels. In little more than twenty-four hours the Frenchmen returned with the object of their mission, and Lowe punctually performed his promise by restoring the vessels. Having sailed for the Spanish-American settlements, the pirates decried two large ships about halfway between Carthagena and Portobello, which proved to be the Mermaid, an English man-of-war, and a Guinea-man. They approached in chase until discovering the man-of-war's great range of teeth, when they immediately put about, and made the best of their way off. The man-of-war then commenced the pursuit, and gained upon them apace, and I confess that my terrors were now equal to any that I had previously suffered, for I concluded that we should certainly be taken, and that I should no less certainly be hanged for company's sake. So true are the words of Solomon, A companion of fools shall be destroyed. But the two pirate vessels, finding themselves outsailed, separated, and Farrington Spriggs, who commanded the schooner in which I was, stood in for the shore. The mermaid, observing the sloop with Lowe himself to be the larger of the two, crowded all sail and continued gaining still more, indeed, until her shot flew over. But one of the sloop's crew showed Lowe a shoal, which he could pass, and in the pursuit the man-of-war grounded. Thus the pirates escaped hanging on this occasion. Spriggs and one of his chosen companions, dreading the consequences of being captured and brought to justice, laid their pistols beside them in the interval, and pledging a mutual oath and a bumper of liquor, swore, if they saw no possibility of escape, to set foot to foot and blow out each other's brains. But standing towards the shore they made Picaroon Bay and escaped the danger. Next we repaired to a small island called Utila about seven or eight leagues to the leeward of the island of Roatan in the Bay of Honduras, where the bottom of the schooner was cleaned. 
There were now twenty-two persons on board, and eight of us engaged in a plot to overpower our masters and make our escape. Spriggs proposed sailing for New England in quest of provisions, and to increase his company, and we intended on approaching the coast, when the rest had indulged freely in liquor and had fallen sound asleep, to secure them under the hatches, and then deliver ourselves up to government. Although our plot was carried on with all possible privacy, Spriggs had somehow or another got intelligence of it, and having fallen in with Lowe on the voyage, went on board his ship to make a furious declaration against us. But Lowe made little account of his information, otherwise it might have been fatal to most of our number. Spriggs, however, returned raging to the schooner, exclaiming that four of us should go forward to be shot, and to me in particular he said, You dog, Ashton, you deserve to be hanged up at the yard-arm for designing to cut us off. I replied that I had no intention of injuring any man on board, but I should be glad if they would allow me to go away quietly. At length this flame was quenched, and through the goodness of God I escaped destruction. Roatan Harbor, as all about the Bay of Honduras, is full of small islands which pass under the general name of Keys, and having got in here, lo, with some of his chief men, landed on a small island which they called Port Royal Key. There they erected huts, and continued carousing, drinking, and firing while the different vessels of which they now had possession were repairing. On Saturday the ninth of March, 1723, the cooper with six hands in the longboat was going ashore for water, and coming alongside of the schooner I requested to be of the party. Seeing him hesitate, I urged that I had never hitherto been ashore, and thought it hard to be so closely confined when every one besides had the liberty of landing as there was no occasion, Lowe had before told me, on requesting to be sent away in some of the captured vessels which he dismissed, that I should go home when he did, and swore that I should never previously set my foot on land. But now I considered if I could possibly once get on terra firma, though in ever such bad circumstances I should account it a happy deliverance, and resolve never to embark again. The cooper at length took me into the longboat, while Lowe and his chief people were on a different island from Roatan, where the watering-place lay. My only clothing was an Osnaburg frock and trousers, a milled cap, but neither shirt, shoes, stockings, nor anything else. When we first landed I was very active in assisting to get the casks out of the boat, and enrolling them to the watering-place, then taking a hearty draught of water, I strolled along the beach, picking up stones and shells, but on reaching the distance of a musket-shot from the party, I began to withdraw toward the skirts of the woods. In answer to a question by the cooper of whither I was going, I replied, for coconuts, as some coca trees were just before me. And as soon as I was out of sight of my companions, I took to my heels, running as fast as the thickness of the bushes and my naked feet would admit. Notwithstanding I had got a considerable way into the woods, I was still so near as to hear the voices of the party if they spoke loud, and I lay close in a thicket where I knew they could not find me. After my comrades had filled their casks and were about to depart, the cooper called on me to accompany them. However, I lay snug in the thicket and gave him no answer, though his words were plain enough. At length, after hallowing loudly, I could hear them say to one another, the dog is lost in the woods and cannot find the way out again. Then they hallowed once more and cried, He has run away and won't come to us. 
and the cooper observed that had he known my intention he would not have brought me ashore. Satisfied of their inability to find me among the trees and bushes, the cooper at last, to show his kindness, exclaimed, If you do not come away presently I shall go off and leave you alone. Nothing, however, could induce me to discover myself, and my comrades, seeing it vain to wait any longer, put off without me. Thus I was left on a desolate island, destitute of all help and remote from the track of navigators, but compared with the state and society I had quitted, I considered the wilderness hospitable and the solitude interesting. When I thought the whole were gone, I emerged from my thicket and came down to a small run of water, about a mile from the place where our casks were filled, and there sat down to observe the proceedings of the pirates. To my great joy, in five days their vessels sailed, and I saw the schooner part from them to shape a different course. I then began to reflect on myself and my present condition. I was on an island which I had no means of leaving. I knew of no human being within many miles. My clothing was scanty, and it was impossible to procure a supply. I was altogether destitute of provision, nor could tell how my life was to be supported. This melancholy prospect drew a copious flood of tears from my eyes. But as it had pleased God to grant my wishes in being liberated from those whose occupation was devising mischief against their neighbors, I resolved to account every hardship light. Yet Lowe would never suffer his men to work on the Sabbath, which was more devoted to play and I have even seen some of them sit down to read in a good book. In order to ascertain how I was to live in time to come, I began to range over the island, which proved ten or twelve leagues long, and lay in about sixteen degrees north latitude. But I soon found that my only companions would be the beasts of the earth, and fowls of the air, for there were no indications of any habitations on the island, though every now and then I found some shreds of earthenware scattered in a lime walk said by some to be the remains of Indians formerly dwelling here. The island was well watered, full of high hills and deep valleys. Numerous fruit trees such as figs, vines, and coconuts are found in the latter, and I found a kind larger than an orange, oval-shaped and of a brownish color without, and red within. Though many of these had fallen under the trees, I could not venture to take them until I saw the wild hogs feeding with safety and then I found them very delicious fruit. Stores of provisions abounded here, though I could avail myself of nothing but the fruit, for I had no knife or iron implement, either to cut up a tortoise on turning it, or weapons wherewith to kill animals, nor had I any means of making a fire to cook my capture even if I were successful. Sometimes I entertained thoughts of digging pits, and covering them over with small branches of trees, for the purpose of taking hogs or deer. But I wanted a shovel and every substitute for the purpose, and I was soon convinced that my hands were insufficient to make a cavity deep enough to retain what it should fall into. Thus I was forced to rest satisfied with fruit, which was to be esteemed very good provision for any one in my condition. In the process of time, while poking among the sand with a stick, in quest of tortoise eggs which I had heard were laid in the sand, part of one came up adhering to it, and on removing the sand I found nearly an hundred and fifty, which had not lain long enough to spoil. Therefore taking some, I ate them, and strung others on a strip of palmetto, 
which being hung up in the sun became thick and somewhat hard, so they were more palatable. After all, they were not very savory food, though one who had nothing but what fell from the trees behooved to be content. Tortoises lay their eggs in the sand, in holes about a foot or a foot and a half deep, and smooth the surface over them so there is no discovering where they lay. According to the best of my observation, the young are hatched in eighteen or twenty days, and then immediately take to the water. Many serpents are on this and the adjacent islands. One about twelve or fourteen feet long is as large as a man's waist, but not poisonous. When lying at length they look like old trunks of trees covered with short moss, though they usually assume a circular position. The first time I saw one of these serpents I had approached very near before discovering it to be a living creature. It opened its mouth wide enough to have received a hat, and breathed on me. A small black fly creates such annoyance that even if a person possessed ever so many comforts, his life would be oppressive to him, unless for the possibility of retiring to some small key, destitute of wind and bushes, where multitudes are dispersed by the wind. To this place, then, I was confined during nine months without seeing a human being. One day after another was lingering out, I know not how, void of occupation or amusement except collecting food, rambling from hill to hill, and from island to island, and gazing on sky and water. Although my mind was occupied by many regrets, I had the reflection that I was lawfully employed when taken, so that I had no hand in bringing misery on myself. I was also comforted to think that I had the approbation and consent of my parents in going to sea, and trusted that it would please God in his own time and manner to provide for my return to my father's house. Therefore I resolved to submit patiently to my misfortune. It was my daily practice to ramble from one part of the island to another, though I had a more special home near the waterside. Here I built a hut to defend me against the heat of the sun by day and the heavy dews by night. Taking some of the best branches which I could find fallen from the trees, I contrived to fix them against a low-hanging bough, by fastening them together with split palmetto leaves. Next I covered the hole with some of the largest and most suitable leaves that I could get. Many of these huts were constructed by me, generally near the beach with the open part, fronting the sea, to have the better lookout and advantage of the sea-breeze, which both the heat and the vermin required. But the insects were so troublesome that I thought of endeavouring to get over to some of the adjacent keys, in hopes of enjoying rest. However, I was, as already said, a very indifferent swimmer. I had no canoe, nor any means of making one. At length, having got a piece of bamboo which is hollow like a reed, and light as a cork, I ventured after frequent trials with it under my breast and arms to put off for a small key about a gunshot distant, which I reached in safety. My new place of refuge was only about three or four hundred feet in circuit, lying very low and clear of woods and brush. From exposure to the wind it was quite free of vermin, and I seemed to have got into a new world, where I lived infinitely more at ease. Hither I retired, therefore, when the heat of the day rendered the insect tribe most obnoxious. Yet I was obliged to be much on Roatan, to procure food and water, and at night on account of my hut. When swimming back and forward between the two islands I used to bind my frock and trousers about my head, 
and if i could have carried over wood and leaves whereof to make a hut with equal facility i should have passed more of my time on the smaller one yet these excursions were not unattended with danger once i remember when passing from the larger island the bamboo before i was aware slipped from under me and the tide or current set down so strong that it was with great difficulty i could reach the shore at another time when swimming over to the small island a shovel-nosed shark which as well as alligators abound in those seas struck me in the thigh just as my foot could reach the bottom and grounded itself from the shallowness of the water as i suppose so that its mouth could not get round towards me the blow i felt some hours after making the shore by repeated practice i at length became a pretty dexterous swimmer and amused myself by passing from one island to another among the keys i suffered very much from being barefoot so many deep wounds were made in my feet from traversing the woods where the ground was covered with sticks and stones and on the hot beach over sharp broken shells that i was scarce able to walk at all often when treading with all possible caution a stone or shell on the beach or a pointed stick in the woods would penetrate the old wound and the extreme anguish would strike me down as suddenly as if i had been shot then i would remain for hours together with tears gushing from my eyes from the acuteness of the pain i could travel no more than absolute necessity compelled me in quest of subsistence and i have sat my back leaning against a tree looking out for a vessel during a complete day once while faint from such injuries as well as smarting under the pain of them a wild boar rushed towards me i knew not what to do for i had not strength to resist his attack therefore as he drew nearer i caught the bough of a tree and suspended myself by means of it the boar tore away part of my ragged trousers with his tusks and then left me this i think was the only time that i was attacked by any wild beast and i considered myself to have had a very great deliverance as my weakness continued to increase i often fell to the ground insensible and then as also when i laid myself to sleep i thought i should never wake again or rise in life under this affliction i first lost count of the days of the week i could not distinguish sunday and as my illness became more and more aggravated i became ignorant of the month also all this time i had no healing balsam for my feet nor any cordial to revive my drooping spirits my utmost efforts could only now and then procure some figs and grapes neither had i fire for though i had heard of a way to procure it by rubbing two sticks together my attempts in this respect continued until i was tired proved abortive the rains having come on attended with chill winds i suffered exceedingly end of chapter thirty one recording by philip gould